Europe and the US under the Biden administration are really aligned in their climate goals. And they want the same thing. They want to reduce emissions. They want to facilitate the low carbon transition. And by kind of like excluding the Europeans from the sourcing requirements, there was a lot of bad blood created between the policymakers. I think a lot of Europeans were surprised by it. And it also, frankly, kind of like undermines to some degree the approach that the Europeans are pursuing with the carbon price. Welcome to Radio Cause, our podcast series on emissions trading schemes. This series is part of Life Cause, an EU-funded project to provide knowledge for improved emissions trading. I am Lea Heinrich. And I am Marie Roth from the Florence School of Regulation Climate. I'm very honored to speak to Sanjay Patnaik today. Sanjay is director of the Center on Regulation and Markets, the Bernard L. Swartz Chair in Economic Policy Development, and a senior fellow in economic studies at Brookings. He also is a fellow for the Initiative for Sustainable Energy Policy at the Johns Hopkins University. Trained as an applied economist, he has conducted extensive research on the European Union emissions trading scheme, and he's particularly interested in researching the role of emissions trading programs in mitigating climate change and their effect on firm behavior. Hello, Sanjay, and thank you for being here with us today. Could you tell us about the recent developments in the American climate policy agenda, especially, more specifically, uh, what are the impacts of the Inflation Reduction Act a year after it's been put into practice? Of course, and thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, and so, as you know, last year, the Biden administration passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which was really the biggest piece of climate legislation the U.S. has ever seen. Uh, in Europe, um, uh, policymakers really followed the uh, approach of a carbon price, basically a stick, to uh, induce the economy uh, towards a low-carbon transition. In the U.S., they followed the opposite approach because the carbon price was not politically feasible. So they came in with uh, a lot of subsidies and tax breaks and tax credits. It's a really a huge package that is supposed to catalyze a lot of investments in low carbon technologies. It provides tax credits ranging from electric vehicles to heat pumps for homes to uh, building of new power generation plants that are renewable. Uh, and so really broad. Um, and, and obviously a lot of these investments are intended to uh, effect change over a longer period of time. So one year out, it's very hard to say what the effects have been so far in terms of emissions because it will take time until these uh, become uh, more uh, re real. What, however, we have definitely seen is a lot of announcements of new investments from the private sector, a lot of uh, investment activity and interest by companies and investors. So I think what the IRA has really successfully done is catalyze existing market forces that were already here before the IRA, uh, which kind of like started channeling some capital towards low carbon technologies and low carbon alternatives and really supercharged it. And so because of the tax credits, because of the subsidies, we see a lot of private capital moving into the United States, even for multinational companies from European companies that are investing in the US and, um, and are thinking of building new plants there. So I think um, it, it's obviously the, the opposite approach of what the Europeans have been taking, but I think politically it was the most realistic one and it, it, it reinforces some of the strengths that the Americans have, which is they are very good at innovation and technology and, and by providing uh, incentives for, uh, for companies and incentives for consumers to try to adopt some of these policies, it could really supercharge. But I also have to say 
it, it remains to be seen whether the intended emissions reductions will actually materialize or not. Because in Europe, it's much easier to, to look at it. We have clear data on emissions from all the plants that are included, for instance, in the European Emissions Trading Scheme. In the US, there is no guaranteed emissions reductions because it all depends on whether the consumers take up all these tax credits, whether the infrastructure actually gets built. And, and oftentimes we face challenges here in the US because of permitting reform. And so I would say we will only see in a couple of years whether the promises that the IRA um, holds will actually materialize or not. Okay, thank you very much, Sanjay. Very, very interesting. And you just mentioned it, so there are quite different approaches to climate policy in the US and the EU. So the US is relying a bit more on subsidies and the EU is generally counting more on regulation. Now, I'm wondering how can the US and the EU better collaborate on climate policies when they have these differences in policy? I think that's a very interesting question. And um, frankly, as an economist, I would recommend as a first choice a carbon price. So I think the Europeans really went for the most effective and most efficient policy tool, and I'm glad they did, because everyone tells you that at, to achieve emissions reductions at the lowest cost, the carbon price is the most effective. Again, for political reasons, the US couldn't do that. And so I think what I would have liked to see a bit more is when the IRA was developed and then ultimately passed, that there would have been more consultation with the Europeans. Um, as you know, the IRA has a lot of provisions, for instance, for local sourcing requirements, for batteries, for uh, manufacturing some of these electric vehicles. And initially, the Europeans were left out of that. Basically, a lot of the sourcing requirements focused on domestic uh, production. And then because there was some pushback, they also started including any countries that had a free trade agreement with the US and Europe doesn't. And so I think that was that was a mistake because Europe and the US under the Biden administration are really aligned in their climate goals. And they want the same thing. They want to reduce emissions. They want to facilitate the low carbon transition. And by kind of like excluding the Europeans from the sourcing requirements, there was a lot of bad blood created between the policymakers. I think a lot of Europeans were surprised by it. And it also, frankly, kind of like undermines it to some degree the approach that the Europeans are pursuing with the carbon price. And I think that was not ideal. I think going forward, what could happen is, for instance, if there is some way through regulations or through rulemaking in, in the different, different executive agencies or through an add-on to legislation, to expand those sourcing requirements to Europe, for instance, uh, and European companies, because Europe is obviously one of the closest allies of the US, that could help bring these two policies closer together. I think it will also help um, if, for instance, the EU and US collaborate more on potential sector-based policies. I know there are negotiations ongoing for steel and for aluminum, uh, but kind of like integrate the approaches there in a better way. Because again, I think what is important is that the US and the EU share the same goal currently under this administration. And so it, it would be better if they work in tandem rather than trying to kind of like pursue opposing approaches that might undermine each other's approaches to some degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. So working in tandem and having discussions, uh, anticipating, uh, including the EU in the in the American policy would be would be key um and uh moving on to more the eu's 
uh, current policy with the carbon border adjustment mechanism. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the, the American perspective on this? Uh, that's a, a very interesting question. The carbon border adjustment mechanism that the EU is pursuing, the, or CBAM, has obviously received a lot of attention uh, outside the EU. Uh, I, I hear from policymakers around the world, especially developing countries, that are very concerned because obviously they know that they, their companies will have to pay it. And I think in the US, we have seen kind of like a, a transition of perspective. Initially, there was a lot of consternation and pushback from the business community when the CBAM was announced. And I think even from some policymakers in the US and politicians, they're saying like, oh, we, we don't want our companies to be disadvantaged. But I think what we've seen now is quite interestingly that there is some interest in the United States to actually pursue their own version of CBAM to put them mm -hmm. more in line with the Europeans, even though the US doesn't have a domestic carbon price. And that's very counterintuitive. How can you have a CBAM if you don't have a domestic carbon price? But there is some work being done that is quite interesting that shows paths how this could be achieved. For instance, if you look at emissions intensity, per sector uh, or similar approaches. And, and there is some bipartisan interest. And that's interesting because we see on the Rep Republican side that the CBAM uh, could be seen as a bulwark against China. And on the Democratic side, it is seen as a tool to bring us in line more with the Europeans. So I think it has changed. Um, it's being perceived less negative now than it was initially. And I think critically, what the Europeans have been able to achieve by it is really a change in debates around the world uh, and, and forcing policymakers' hand. And I think that's the strength. The Europeans really have an imprint on the rest of the world because of the CBAM, because the European market is so big and so important that now a lot of countries are reconsidering, well, maybe we should also do something. Maybe we should have a domestic carbon price. Maybe we should also to think about a CBAM in conjunction with that. And, and so that's an interesting development, I think, for the US as well. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. This was Radio Cause, recorded for Live Cause, a project of the Florence School of Regulation. Check out our project website at livecause.euy.eu for more information and stay tuned for the next episodes.